0: Hey y'all, welcome to the Marty Smith's America podcast, the Marty Smith's America podcast. I had a couple of guys write me this week saying, I swear you're saying the Marty's Miss America podcast, which uh, that's a whole other show. This is episode 35 and it's another awesome one today. I have the great opportunity to spend 30, 35 minutes with a friend of mine who drives race cars real fast for a living. Young man named Chase Elliott drives the number nine Napa Mountain Dew Kelly Blue Book. He got about, he's got about 10 sponsors. Chevrolet for Rick Hendrick and Hendrick Motorsports. His story is amazing. He is the son of a legend in NASCAR Hall of Famer Bill Elliott, who was NASCAR's most popular driver for 15 straight years or something like that. He drove for Dale Earnhardt Jr. in his first professional job. He inherited Jeff Gordon's number 24, the iconic 24, when Jeff retired. And now he is a NASCAR winner. And he uh, was in the championship hunt for the 2018 NASCAR championship until this weekend. And is just so wise beyond his years. He's only 22. It's hard to imagine being as... Composed as he is. I know I wasn't at 22. I was a complete dumbass at 22. And Chase is not. You would think that he was 40 the way that he carries himself and with the perspective that he has. And you'll learn about that perspective. We really dive deep into his climb and what it's like to have so many famous, successful, transcendent, resonant mentors in his life and how that shapes you. Uh, we talk racing. We talk. Music and we talk about Chase's experience at the 2017 college football playoff national championship game with his beloved Georgia Bulldogs. Y'all gonna love that story. But before we get to Chase, we gotta talk bacon. Chase Elliott loves him some bacon. Guess what bacon lovers? Now with every pack of Smithfield bacon you purchase, you can enter for a chance to win bacon for life. I didn't stutter. Y'all heard me right. I said bacon for the rest of your life, all the slow, smoked, crispy happiness you can handle. Wake up, boom, there's bacon. Need lunch during a big game? Bacon. And for dinner, bedtime snack, or any other time of the day, I don't even have to say it, piles, mountains of bacon. You can baconify anything you want, s'mores, pancakes, BLTs. You got a mountain of it, why not use it? There's no gimmicks, no tricks, just a whole lot of Smithfield bacon for life and for the win. The chance to win it is yours right now. Look for specially marked packages of Smithfield bacon in stores or visit smithfield.com slash baconforlife for details. Flavor hails from Smithfield. No purchase is necessary. This offer ends December 31st. Go to smithfield.com slash baconforlife to enter and for free entry instructions. Now that we're all hungry for bacon, let's go hang out with my buddy, NASCAR star Chase Elliott. Man, it's awesome to have a buddy of mine, a good buddy of mine, Chase Elliott on the Marty Smith's America podcast this week. You have such a unique story and a lot of my listeners may not know it. You know, born to a NASCAR champion, legend, Hall of Famer in Bill Elliott, sat in Dale Earnhardt's lap as a kid, first pro- professional job you're working for Dale Jr. Pretty good ride for a guy who's what, what are you, are you even 23 yet? You're just 22, right? Almost. Yeah. Not quite. <laughs> I mean, I mean it's just really not even fair. Good looking, successful, rich. I mean, <laughs>
1: you got it going on, my man. I love it. It could definitely be worse. I can't. Comment. Oh
0: hell yeah, it could be worse. And I mean, that that ain't a bad way to get started in life. Uh, let's start at the beginning with little Chase. What was it like for you growing up in the NASCAR garage?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I just thought it was. Uh, I just thought it was so cool because, you know, I think everybody as a kid you know, looks up to their dad and, and for me I was in a unique situation because, you know, I was able to go to races every week and, and watch dad be a hero to many and, and not just me. So that was uh you know, and ultimately I thought I had the, the coolest spot ever because all these people looked up to him and he was my dad, you know, and I always thought that was so neat just to go to the races and see that atmosphere and I, you know, I just thought it was the coolest thing ever to Go to the event and see all the people and and just the just the atmosphere that that it was was just unbelievable as you know and and that ultimately is what kind of drove me to want to be a part of it. Those guys,
0: when I was younger, you know, your dad and Bobby Allison and that era, you know, Rusty Wallace and Dale Jarrett and all those guys were just untouchable. They seemed, they were superheroes to me and. Of course, at the top of everybody's list, no matter what your allegiance was, the ultimate superhero was Big E. And there's this iconic photograph that you've seen more, you know, you're tired of seeing it, but it's a beautiful thing. You're, you're sitting in Dale Earnhardt's lap.
1: What do you remember about that? (laughs) I don't remember anything about it. Um, I was, I was real little at the time, to be honest with you looking back on it i was shocked that that my dad even let that happen uh you know that dad and 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 dale and they went at it hard i mean they were they were big time rivals back back in the day so something changed in my father to allow uh to allow me to to even anywhere near him as a kid but you know i think uh i was always biased of course you know as i got older i looked back at all the videos and all the hard racing that he and dad did and of course, I take dad's side on all that stuff, but um, you know, still a cool picture and and uh, kind of funny how things led and end up driving for uh, for Dale and and kind of the path that ended up unfolding is pretty neat to to have that look back on.
0: Of all their amazing moments as great rivals and great competitors and patriarchs of the sport, in the way that they helped build this super boom of NASCAR that the moment is the pass in the grass, right? It's the moment. Well,
1: what, what's was pass. That, 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 that makes me so mad. It wasn't a pass.
0: <laughs> it was not a pass, uh, but it's still the coolest name. You know, it's it's it the coolest was, title cool. for a moment.
1: It was a cool title, but it needed to be more like a, a block in the grass. Cause that's <laughs> kind of what it was.
0: What, what's your old man's take?
1: I feel like I've asked him about it at some point, but he was just – fired up you know he uh he doesn't get fired up at much and i could tell by the interviews you know looking back on that that he was he was pretty pissed he just felt like that you know he was trying to trying to run him off the road obviously which uh (laughs) was accurate but back in the day you could drive through the grass and not rip the splitter off the car so maybe if we uh if we went back that direction you'd see it more often
0: when your old man is the most popular driver in the country what's the pressure of choosing his profession
1: Yeah, to be honest with you, I've, you know, I know it's such a cliche answer, but, you know, I've never, uh, I've never really had that pressure and I don't really know why, but it was just kind of always one of those things where as I got older and I started to get more serious into racing, I felt like I was real lucky. We had a, you know, as you know, dad and and his group, you know, they race out of Dawsonville down here and kind of did their own thing. They're always separate from the crowd in Charlotte and, you know, to me, that's a special thing because not only did they build their own cars, they built their own engines and did the whole deal down here. They had no alliance with anybody back in the day. So, Anyway, as time unfolded and things went on, a lot of those same people still lived around here that worked at the shop either you know in the 90s or as time went along and uh, ultimately had some connections to people that were racing the short track world and got me linked with some guys that were still living around here that had some history in short track racing and ultimately ended up Working with them, hiring a couple guys, and and to me that was the that was a real important time in in my racing career, and a time that I feel like I really identify with myself. Just because I thought that I had a great group of people around me, there was some great role models. I learned a lot. The majority of, of what I feel like I have confidence in in my racing from from that group, and you just having. Having good influences around you is huge, and, and not only people that are good at their jobs, but go about their jobs the right way and have the right attitudes, and I feel like we had that. And As a young kid, you know, 11, 12, 13, or 15 years old, a lot's changed in your life, and especially in the racing world, things are getting pretty serious, and to have, have good influences through that time period, I thought was huge, not only for my parents, but from them, too, because you're always... As a kid you're always looking outside your mom and dad to to look for influences, right? You you don't you don't always believe mom and dad even though they're right probably all the time, but you're always looking for somebody else to look up to and I, I found that in some guys and thought that uh yeah that that was a big piece in my opinion of, of identifying myself and kind of getting outside that mold of of always being looked at as as his son. That's less than 10
0: years ago, Chase. I mean it's it's 7 8 years ago. How long does it seem?
1: It honestly doesn't seem that long ago. Um, you know, it really seems like yesterday because you know we were uh, just doing a ton of racing, and, and we all we did it kind of the shop here, and and uh, I was in school. Obviously, I remember getting out of school and going to shop. You know, after uh, after school, about every day. And um, but yeah, no, it, it goes by fast, man. It's hard to believe I'm almost done with year three and the in the Cup Series too. So and uh when you follow the nascar schedule every week you're you're well aware of this but when you follow that schedule every week and you're traveling and racing on sundays and meetings on tuesdays and traveling on thursdays i mean it rolls by and uh you know oftentimes you you get in that lull of midseason you know and you want it to you want it to move along but man it moves and especially this time of year it uh it's coming in a hurry
0: how do other racers treat you when you showed up on saturday night Short tracks as Bill elliott's kid.
1: To be honest with you, I never really, uh I never really had any issues with anybody coming along. Um, you know, we we always, which I I really respect that a lot for this, but we always would come, and ultimately we were away from everybody else from the get go. Nobody else raced much from around here, um, at least not when I was starting. And then we would always go to the race, and we park as far away from everybody else as we could, and we would kind of stay at our own little corner and do our own thing. So. You know, we were never really, uh, I shouldn't say, we, we weren't trying to be assholes, but we just didn't want to be in the mix, everybody. So we always kind of <laughs> did our own thing. And, and uh, we were always the guys that were kind of parked out on our own and away from everybody else. So I just never really had a relationship with a lot of people. But I do feel like as we got to racing and as people, um, as we raced and, you know, luckily had some success, uh, was racing with guys that have been doing it. And I think as you race with those guys and you, if you race in the right way, and especially if you have the chance to beat them, that's when you really earn their respect. And um, I think that's when they overlook the fact that you're a young kid and, and you, you're, you know, born into a fortunate situation. But maybe you might, you know, or at least you're trying to earn your way the right way. At least I feel like that, that we tried to go about the right way to to earn a right to be there. And I, I feel like I did that. So, yeah, it was a, it was a good situation.
0: Awesome Bill was simply trying to shield you from the beer-drinking, hell-raising crowd. <laughs> That's why y'all are well, over in the corner by yourselves. He almost succeeded. <laughs> That's one thing I love about you, man. We're, we're beer-drinking hell-raisers. That's how we do it. Right. So, I forget. How old were you when you signed your first contract that wasn't your old man's money?
1: We actually did have some help from, from some other people. But, yeah, my, my first... uh my first contract, I guess, with with Hendrick, I was uh, Hendrick Motorsports. I was fifteen. Um, right, that's what I thought. Yeah, and it so was, you're fifteen it years
0: old, and Rick Hendrick sees this talent, and he says, "Okay, I believe in I believe in you, and I believe in your future." You're fifteen years old. I don't know a whole lot, but and maybe you're maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a prodigy. I know that racers start young, but. When you have professional backing at 15, it has to have some unique impact on your worldview, and I wonder what that impact is.
1: Well, I think that um, the first thing that kind of came to my mind was like, you know, dang, I, I, I just want to make this guy proud, you know? I mean, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, he was sticking his neck out for me in a lot of ways. I think there was a lot of people telling him not to do it, but where that whole deal originated from was James Finch and... I'm not sure if you know this or not, but as I raced around the Pensacola area, you know that's a big, big short track late model racing area with the Snowball Derby and, and things. And um, James is from from Panama City, and obviously owned a race team and and uh, had some success in NASCAR. But he was always around those races that we ran throughout the season, and, and then obviously he was always at the Snowball every year. And uh, yeah, he was the one who. I actually got to know at the races and and his relationship with Mr. Hendrick was kind of how that whole deal got started. He was the one <clears throat> who mentioned me to the boss and and kind of got that got that ball, that got the ball rolling. He he told him, you know, that he thought I was uh that I was pretty good, I guess, and and that he needed to at least at least take a look and it was one day, I forget what year of school I was in, but um Mr. Hendrick called my dad and he asked if we would come up to meet with him. I'll never forget. We, uh, it was after school one day, it was just some random weekday, uh, I got out of school and, and we flew up to, uh, flew up to Concord. He picked us up personally, took us over to the shop and he, he walked us around the race shop and then we went and sat down in his office and had a conversation and, and he said, you know, ultimately he didn't really know what the right path was or re- what the right steps were. At my age and time, he just said he wanted to help, and I think that was a good a good way to go about it because it didn't put a whole lot of pressure on me. It just said, "Hey, I just want to help." However that is, I just want to help help this along, and and if opportunities open up down the road, then I think it could be something special. And and um, you know, sure enough, things really worked out. I couldn't have asked them to work out any better, and and uh, yeah, that all started with James Finch, and then ultimately Mr. Hendrick, you know, sticking his neck out for me and. And wanting to uh, wanting to push me along, so it's been a it's been a great ride.
0: So now we know where the hell came from. For those of you listening yeah. who don't know who James <laughs> Finch is, let me tell you all about James Finch. James Please Finch sit. is, as Chase said, a a longtime car owner at every level of NASCAR from late models up all the way up to Cup. He's a Cup winner. Brad Keselowski, the 2012 NASCAR champion, won in James's car in his first career win at Talladega Super Speedway many years ago. Anyway, James is a hellraiser of historic proportions, and we so. all love him. Everybody, I mean, it's so. it, I have more stories that are not suitable for this platform that could that could <laughs> stop a train. <laughs> so ultimately, you end up at juniors at junior motorsports to drive uh, his Bush Nationwide Xfinity, whatever it's called now, car, and. Yeah. I can't imagine what that's like. You're the son of a legend. He's the son of a legend. He's established, and in
1: you walk. What is junior university like? Well, that whole deal was kind of interesting because my I had no relationship with Dale. None. I don't even think I had said a word to him. Um, my my footing for there was through Mister Hendrick, and we had got to talking. It was uh, I guess in 2013 we had run we had run some truck races that year. Uh, you could run short tracks and road courses at the time. At my age, I think I was I was seventeen. You know, obviously, he has a part ownership in in JRM, and and um, I said, hey, you know, my goal would be to try to go nationwide racing next year. So, at the time, we we had a sponsor. At the time, found out they were going to do something different into the year. So, now we were kind of putting a little bit of a, a tough situation because we didn't have funding to to go do it and and work. Worked around some things and had uh, basically exercised all of our all of our options and people that were interested, and it had come down to uh, Napa, and they were our last meeting, and we met with them, I guess around November of, uh, of seventeen, had a good meeting, and then they came back right around Christmas of seventeen and said that said they wanted to do it, and that was obviously really late to be ready to go full-time racing in february yeah, right mean, that's right around the door I mean, right around the corner so anyway things got things got going luckily i was able to get things in line and yeah it was uh it was kind of coming down to either you know if, if napa did it then uh it was going to be great we were going to go full-time racing if they decided not to do it then uh i i was going to go take some classes in college the next year actually so yeah it was <laughs> it was a pretty big turning point for me and and uh you know, that year was obviously incredible. You know, a few wins and was able to win the championship and, uh, fell into a great situation with Greg Eyes and, and, some good teammates. And it was just, uh, it was just a very fortunate set of circumstances that led to 2014, very late. But things played out great and, and, uh, opportunities were there and we made, made most of some of them.
0: As you got to know Junior, how did he shape you as a racer and, and, and describe him as a friend?
1: Yeah. Dale, he's just such a genuine guy. And I think a lot of times people don't, people don't get to see that about him, but, um, that's the biggest thing I've learned from him. He's a genuine guy. He, you know, from racing with him, he's a, he's a straightforward guy and, and he does, uh, you know, to me, he does things and he treats people the right way. And especially, I think you see that around his, around his workplace and the people that work with him, you know, he, uh, he, he he's not a he's not a bser which i can always appreciate that especially in a in a business business world so he's become a good friend um and yeah a, a good teammate too as as i got to know him on the cup side as well
0: he's just such a great person uh, i've been so blessed to to i've known him for so long now we've been we've been friends for half our lives we've been good friends for probably 10 years ish eight ten years and we've been damn near brothers for maybe five or so six and i just appreciate his perspective on things and to your point about being no bull he taught me one of the greatest lessons back in 2012 i was i had interviewed jeff gordon and we'll get to jeff in a minute for those of y'all who don't know chase followed jeff in the 24 car we'll get to that in just a second but i had interviewed jeff he was on this hot streak in a 24 and in a time when a lot of people wondered if he was, it was done. And I did this interview and I was young in television, even though I was about four, five, six years in, I I still felt like I had to prove something. And so in this interview, I just cut Jeff off a few times. He, he was kind of wandering around and I cut him off. And that interview aired before the Loudon, New Hampshire race in September of that year. And after that race, Junior had wrecked or something. And he got out of his car, and he's looking at the damage of his car. And he's standing at the at the door of the transporter, the 18-wheeler that that carries the cars. And he kind of points at me and and points me over to him. And I walked over there, and he turned his back to the – as Chase can tell you, every time that Junior got out of his race car, there were throngs of people waiting for him. And he turned his back to the crowd, and he said, you need to stop interrupting people. And I, I was it was like I got punched in the face. I said, "Excuse me?" He said, "I wanted to hear what the hell Jeff had to say and you kept interrupting him. Quit it."
1: That is uh Dale to a T. I mean, it, to a T. He could that, Dale to a T. Have a described,
0: that's it. I will tell you, dude. He made me a better broadcaster. He made me an exponentially better interviewer in that moment because he was he he cared enough about me as a friend and he cared enough about what I was doing to be that damn honest. And I don't have—I don't know how many people have that in them. Like, that takes a lot of balls to it grab does. your buddy and be like, hey, man, you need to shut up, dude.
1: Well, not only that, but to get it across in a manner that he doesn't come off like an ass is also mm-hmm. key. Because, man, you could say that. I feel like for me, I would have the wrong demeanor and somebody would just think I was just being a straight ass you know, and I was trying to help, but that, that's Dale though. He he does a good job of getting the point across and you're not hating him at the end of the day. So that, that's good. Right.
0: It's amazing. So we leave juniors, you're a champion in the nationwide cars and it's in that time when Jeff Gordon, uh, of course, everybody knows who Jeff Gordon is. He's quite probably the most famous name in the history of the sport. Um, him and Dale and Richard and those guys, but, they tab you to follow Jeff in this iconic number 24 car that is, you know, for for 15 years the standard by which everybody else was measured, right? And so here you are at like 19 or however old you were, 18, 19 yeah. years old, and Rick Hendricks says, I believe in this guy. He's proven it in the Bush cars, and we're going to put him in there. I What came with that that you didn't expect?
1: Um, well, I think the biggest thing, just from a competition standpoint, you know, the the jump from Ex- or nationwide or, or Xfinity or Bush, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> we'll to never, Cup it today. Yeah, exactly. Uh, to Cup is so massive, and it to me there is no step in racing that I had ever done that was as big as as that step in competition because. You race on Saturday nights growing up, and you might have two or three guys that really know how to drive or, or think they do. And then <laughs> you might go to the next level, and you might have four or five guys, and you might go to the next level, and that might jump to eight. But when you get to Cup, just about every guy there knows how to drive for the most part. I shouldn't say all of them in my opinion, but <laughs> the majority of them, the guys who are good and the guys who win know, and win often, and are champions, know what they need in their cars, and when you align that, when you align the best drivers with the best teams, man, it is freaking hard, and I don't care what anybody says, it's hard, and it, it is a uh, it is a difficult thing to, to step into at a young age, and, you know, luckily, I felt like I was I was very lucky because I had some, at least if nothing else, I had some years of experience and and some years of good role models and people around me to kind of help shape a little bit of of the racer I feel like I am. And yeah, that's just a tough step. And I I think that was the biggest thing that that took some time. And the step on the competition side, one, and then number two, the just the uh, how big, HMS is as a company was different for me. And I was always used to working on four or five guys, you know, and, and you show up over there and, and they have 600 employees, right? And all those people are counting on you to go do your job because ultimately the performance on Sunday shapes the mood amongst campus. And, and to me, it's not necessarily a, a burden, but it, man, I just want to do good for those people because everybody has a hand in what we do. And I think as time has gone along, I, I feel like that, uh, yeah, you just you accept that a little more, and and you just want to make those people proud. But yeah, big step, man. It's it's hard. Not care what anybody says. It's it's not easy, even today.
0: Big step, and it took you a few years to win. What what, yeah. what are the emotions when all you've ever done is win? All you ever know is winning. You know, two, three, four, however many times a year, that's what you do, and then you don't. What's that emotion?
1: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's tough, and I, I just think that uh, you know, just when you when you think you have things figured out, you don't. And I think I think that was a good uh, a good illustration of it, you know. And and for me, I felt like I was lucky. I, first off, I was lucky to land in the situation I did. You know, Jeff's team um, with Alan Gustafson and and that group of guys, basically the same group now that it was as it was when he uh, when he quit, but. Landed in a in a really fortunate situation with them, a and to me that kind of kept things very level throughout the ups and downs of those you know first two seasons for sure. Um, I can't say our attitudes were any different at the start of year three as they were at the beginning of year one, and I think that takes a lot of uh, that takes a lot of integrity and and a lot of a lot of good good personalities and good people to be surrounded by when you have some of the races that i blew um that those guys are you know deserved a victory and for them not to treat me any differently afterwards um is what they did when i started or or even now that we've won a couple of races i think is pretty special so um it, it matters people matter and when the people around you start questioning you you know, you can't you can't drive something you can't drive a slow car fast. You know, so you have to have everybody's support there, and and that's a uh, that's a vital piece to it, in my opinion, of, of kind of keeping me uh, grounded uh, through the ups and downs, and and not uh, you know not not losing your mind, not having success in those first two years.
0: One of those people certainly is the tip of the spear. Rick Hendricks an amazing human being. I don't know a whole lot of guys like that guy. He has a like a force field around him, like an aura or something, and he he has mentored so many people it's i mean it's countless people how has his guidance shaped you
1: well to me from you know as i tell as i tell everybody obviously he's a great guy and I can sit here and list out a lot of descriptive words for you but the best way for me to describe him is to look how other people look at him and the impact that he has on people that to me speaks more about somebody than me sitting here giving you a bunch of uh, descriptions about the guy, you know, I mean, obviously he's done a lot for me. So I'm going to tell you, he's a, he's a great person. But when you look at the people that he's impacted and the things he does that he doesn't have to do for people, um, those are the ones that stand out. I mean, it's, it's all the time. I'll show up at uh, his hangar at Concord and I'll be coming in for a meeting or something and the team plans to be going out to help with hurricane relief or going down to go lend a hand in food banks or, or whatever. So, you know, it's um, the impact he has not only on his his employees and his company, but you know, he uh, he has a big reach uh, of people and, and things that he he tries to help with. And and you talk to anybody, I've never met anybody that feels like that they've that he's treated them wrongly or or not done something uh, not done something for them. So I that
0: says more about somebody than anything else in my opinion i agree i mean
1: he's
0: uh he's been so good to me for a long 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 time and i just admire him i admire him so much a few more and i'll get you out of here you've already given me too much time i appreciate it
1: no nah, no worries you
0: one thing that i've admired about you is you've never had any qualms standing in your ground in the garage you've never had qualms taking responsibility when something was on you and that's a unique evolution when you get to the top level uh it's intense as hell people that don't know nascar they see cars going around in circles they don't know what's going on out there for real it's a very intense environment and a very competitive environment and winning is very difficult and so when somebody when when, when a driver feels like he's something's been taken from him unjustly it gets thick and you've never had any qualms uh, what is the evolution into doing that when you deem it necessary
1: well i think you know the the big thing is is controlling what you can control and i think the thing is that that you can control on the things that are in your hands if you mess that up then i think you have every right to be mad at yourself um but if something happens that is outside your hands (laughs) depending upon how it happens uh sure yeah i mean i think you have to stand your ground like anything else i mean um, anything in life, I don't care what you do, whether whatever your job is, if, if you're you, I'm sure if you give in to people, they're going to take advantage of you, um, you know, by, by twisting your, uh, twisting your, your questions or, or whatever. You see it in the media all the time, and you also see it the other way around. You also see people in the media take advantage of, of people that don't know how to answer questions or don't answer questions the right way as well. Um, but certainly on the racetrack and any other sport or, or whatever, um, yeah, you, you, you fold too many times and somebody or everyone is watching that, not, not just the person that's impacting there, but everyone sees how you react to things amongst your competitors. And they're going to treat you uh, a certain way based off of what they see in you. And then that's just the facts. Um, you know, people label you as X. And that's how they treat you from there on. So mm-hmm. until, until you do something that, you know, do something different or prove them wrong, then, uh, that's what it's going to be. So yeah, I feel like there are going to be times where you got to stand up and say, look, this is how it's going to be. And either you're going to like it or you don't. And I don't really carry the way. And, and that's kind of the attitude I think everybody has to have, especially in a, in an environment like racing. You have to be kind of selfish. I hate to say that, but you do. If you want to win, um, nice people don't win all the time. And that's just the way it goes. So you have to, uh, you have to step up and do your thing occasionally.
0: It's like my old man used to say, man, don't start any of them, but finish them all. That's
1: right. (laughs) There you go.
0: Oh, Leo, Leo was sage. My old man was, he was the best. Um, took you a while to win, as we said earlier. And, and for those of you guys who may not follow NASCAR or Chase's career, his first win came this summer at Watkins Glen International. What was the impact of that moment?
1: Uh, just uh, a lot of relief, I, I think, and and uh, I don't necessarily want to want to say it was, you know, a, a burden off of me, but I think just a lot of relief in in knowing that, you know, the the fundamentals and the things that I started racing with and had success with in short track racing and you know had some success with in the Xfinity series and so on. Um, that that stuff still works and and that what I believe in and how I want a car to drive is good enough to win and that my ability is, is able to go and achieve that. And I think that, uh, I've always felt like that was the case. And I always felt like if we could hit on things and, and have our cars driving like we want them to drive, I really always felt like that I could do it. And, um, Having that confidence is, is huge, and that's certainly a confidence booster when you go into an event and you have a victory, and you've seen situations before that you're faced with again for you know a second or third time, and you know that the outcome was in your favor the last go around is just nice. I don't care what anybody says; it's a good thing, and it's a confidence builder. And I enjoy, uh, I've enjoyed those moments. I can assure you too. Um, I, I've told some people this. It's like you know Watkins Glen and you know the Kansas and Dover this year were great, but I can assure you they wouldn't have been near as great if they had happened in year one because you just wouldn't appreciate things uh, as much, in my opinion, if you hadn't had some of those hard days that that I had uh, you know throughout those first two years. So obviously, I wish we would have won in year one, and, and you know have, have won a lot more by now, but. Uh, you appreciate that stuff more when you have, have a tough road to get there.
0: That's a great perspective. And it's so true. Sometimes it takes getting kicked in the teeth a little bit before you can appreciate the real smile. It's, uh, um, right. it's awesome to see you have this success, man. It really is. Um, speaking of success, Chase is a Georgia boy, y'all, and he loves him some dogs. Loves him some Accurate. dogs. As I recall, weren't you at the national championship?
1: I was. I was trying I trying to forget, but I was.
0: <laughs> what was that moment like? Put me there as Chase Elliott, Georgia uh, fan.
1: Devastating. You know, I don't get tore up much about sports or about, you know, like a sporting event. Like I would never go home just devastated over a sporting event before. But I, I was devastated, man. I mean, it really was. I, I tell you quickly. I know you're trying to get me off, but – uh i got if, nothing but time brother you just go ah uh, well you know, i'll be quick but so when i was when i was young uh i went to my uh my godfather took me to uh one of my dad my dad's best friends took me to my first george game and they played uh i was young i don't even remember how old i was maybe eight seven eight but i remember going i remember a few things about going they played marshall which obviously wasn't a real big game. But it was my first Georgia game. I'll never forget it. And, uh, anyways, that was probably in, like, 2003, two or three, like the David Green and David Pollock yeah, era in, uh, in Athens. So, anyways, always followed them after that, tried to keep up. Uh, you know, we, we lived in Colorado for a couple of years. It was kind of hard to keep up with Georgia Bulldogs from Colorado, but I tried. And then when we came back, certainly started going to some games and things. So, anyways, they made the national championship. I thought it would be the coolest thing ever to take Curtis, the same guy, to the national championship. He took me to my first George game. So, I want to take him to watch them have a chance to win a championship. it would be the coolest thing ever. So, we go, and they're up at half. And I'm like, man, this is going to be the greatest story ever. Curtis takes me to my first game. I take him <laughs> to the national championship, and they're going to win this damn thing. And it would be storybook. And then the second half starts, and we're just watching watching it go south, unfortunately. And uh, anyway, this is devastating. But that, I just thought that was going to be the coolest thing ever, uh, that me and him were there watching that, and what happened happened. I don't want to talk about well, it. Well,
0: <clears throat> Sorry, man. It's, I know it's a sore subject. I know it's uh, <laughs> an open wound still festering, but they ain't done, man. They're no. good. Kirby's building a daggum monster down there.
1: No, they're they're good for sure. I uh you know, I'm I'm gonna try to get to Atlanta to see to the SEC championship. I think that'd be a good one to to go to. So I don't know. I, I, I think they uh there's certainly some areas it seems like they, they struggle with, but it seems like they have the potential to be really good again. Um and they certainly have the leadership I think in in Kirby obviously and Jake Fromm it looks like, so Hopefully they hit it right. They got a couple more weeks to get it right. I think
0: they can. I know you're Chase Elliott and I know that means you can probably get any tickets you want, but if you need any help with tickets, <laughs> hit me up. I know a couple I of will, people at the Southeastern Conference. I
1: will, I will give you the call. Don't, don't tell me that now.
0: <laughs> All right. A couple more things. We got to talk music first. Before I let you go, man, we got to talk yeah. some country music. Y'all need to understand. Y'all know my love for it. My, infatuation and obsession and addiction chase elliott's about just as bad as i am how did you develop this love for country music
1: you know i don't really know uh where it came from it was kind of just a natural thing i feel like i came across my my uh, my parents uh they were never into country music uh my dad actually hates country music um Come on, Bill. and i know he's just never never been about it so I don't really know uh, where it came from, but as I, as I got older, I kind of found myself getting into getting into some different artists and things. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just enjoy, um, well, first off you, you enjoy to understand lyrics eh? and especially when the lyrics have meaning and have, have good meaning. I enjoy that too. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know where it came from, but you're right. It is a thing of mine.
0: You love Eric church. I love Eric church. We are uh, two charter members of the fan club. What is it about his work that you appreciate so much?
1: I just appreciate how he goes about his work. I think first and foremost, obviously, you know, he's a sister and, uh, you know, has had great success and you know, everybody knows the story. But I just appreciate how he goes about dealing with the politics of, of music and of uh, – you know of nashville i just think that's so cool because in a world that i think is kind of similar and, and how messed up it is and and how politics shape uh racing in a lot of ways i feel like nashville is probably similar in in some aspects and i feel like he has just taken that mold and said screw you and i think that's the coolest thing ever and uh if there was ever a way to do it in our world i'd love to be the one to try <laughs>
0: I love it man that you you're the guy you got plenty of time to fly the bird at everybody down there. I love it that's hilarious I cannot thank you enough that was fantastic it's uh i I want you to know I appreciate you so much as a person It's always interesting when you're so much older than somebody else that's a friend of yours or an acquaintance of yours but you admire them as a person and you admire what they stand for and you admire the way that they carry themselves and the grace grace with which they do it. And I just couldn't be more impressed with you. Uh person you are and the professional you are and I just uh I'm blessed to know you, brother. So thanks for your time.
1: Yeah man, no, I appreciate that. It means a lot and I appreciate the friendship. I hope we can talk again and do again thing.
0: You got it, man. Go dogs. Always.
1: See, See ya.
0: What an interesting person. Again, as I said in the open, it just shocks me that he's so young. He's not yet 23 yet. And he's so accomplished and, and has such a unique worldview and a unique perspective on the blessings in his life. And it must be interesting to grow up as the son of a champion, as the son of a legend and a Hall of Famer, and then choose his job. It's like being... You know, uh, Dale Jr. or Michael Jordan's sons or LeBron's sons or whatnot and just, you know, deciding to play the game they played or, or race or participate in what their passion was. And he has handled it with such amazing grace. It's, it's pretty impressive. And interestingly enough, the hillbilly hotline this week falls right into. Our NASCAR conversation, roll it, Travis.
1: Words, sayings, or just a way of life. Roman candles. That's a redneck mortar launcher.
0: That's what that is. (laughs) (laughs) This is hillbillyism. Marty, I I know I've called you a couple times about Baker Mayfield and his
1: laser rocket arm, but right now I got a serious question for you. (laughs) Who is the greatest NASCAR racer of all time?
0: Who is the greatest NASCAR racer of all time? Well, I hate to get too inside baseball on you there, but here's the truth of it. It's almost impossible to answer that question, and I'm not deflecting it because I'm going to answer the why. The manners in which championships are determined in NASCAR, are and were, are very different. In Richard Petty's day when he won seven titles and dominated the sport, it was determined one way. In Dale Earnhardt's era, when he won his seven, um, consistency was king. In Jimmy Johnson's era, the playoff system came in. And Johnson won under however many different playoff systems, three or four or five, I don't know, several different ways of determining the champion. Johnson's done that. And if you go back and look at Jeff Gordon's career, Jeff won four championships under a consistency-based system. And I think if you go back and try to institute the math that Jimmy Johnson won under, Jeff might have six of them. And Jimmy wouldn't have seven. So it's just all convoluted and very difficult to rationalize that. If you're talking about sheer talent, there are so many guys in that conversation, whether it's Dale Earnhardt and Kyle Busch just being so unbelievably gifted with car control, Tim Richmond, unbelievable car control, Petty and Pearson and the Allisons and Johnson and Gordon. All these guys are just absolutely phenomenal at the ability to not just drive it, but to tell the crew what it is doing so that it drives faster. You heard Chase discussing that on, on, in our interview just a moment ago. One of the greatest attributes of a of a great racer is the ability to adjust. If your car is not handling properly, you have to be able to feel how it's mishandling how it's not handling properly and articulate what it is doing to the crew chief on the radio so that the crew chief can then make the decisions necessary to help you drive it better or help it drive better for you so that you can then be faster and contend better for victory. It's a, it's, it's just, there's so many variables involved in this or that. Well, this guy's the best ever. My standard answer over the last several years, has been Johnson. And the reason that I've stated it that way, that definitively, which may be inaccurate, uh, depending on what you think and which era was the best, I think the era in which Johnson won them was the most competitive in NASCAR history. The most cars and teams and drivers capable of winning were in his era. And they went and did it in a very unique format. And so, I've always been so impressed by that. But... Regardless, I mean, Earnhardt winning seven, and Petty winning seven, and Gordon winning four, and, I mean, you look at the all-time victories list, you can go down there, you know, you got some guys might throw Daryl Waltrip in there, Bobby Allison in there, Pearson in there, and this is all off the top of my head. I don't have a bunch of stats in front of me, but there are so many great ones. It's it, That's just a very difficult answer to give. You cannot look at it and say, okay, Nick Saban to me, is the greatest college football coach ever. Well, somebody who's a bit older than me may go, no, Bear Bryant's six are more impressive than Saban's six, or you know, name name all of the phenomenal coaches. Uh It's just a very difficult subjective answer. So, how about this then, Marty? Who was a, a race car driver that you enjoyed watching the most? Now, maybe not the best, or the, the but. The Davey one Allison's you- my hero, man. Davey Allison, who drove the number twenty-eight. Haviland Ford for Robert Yates was the guy that I loved. We were a family that my daddy would we would be sitting on the edge of the pew waiting on a preacher to say amen so that we could run out of the church, hop in a truck, and get home to catch the green flag at noon. And my dad loved Dale, and Dale drove a black number three car, and so I chose the black number 28 car. And I just thought Davey hung the moon. And I'll never forget the day he died. I'll never forget the way it made me feel. I'll never forget. I never met Davey. But in the years since I've been covering the sport for so long, I've gotten close with Davey's uh, wife, Liz, and his children, Krista and Robbie. And it's the one of the joys of my life that as a NASCAR Hall of Fame voter, we voted Davey in this year. And I think it's so fitting and important that we voted Davey and Alan Kowicki in together. They're inextricably linked forever. The way that they raced, they raced for championships against each other, and the way they died, they both died in avionic crashes. Uh, Davy died in a helicopter crash, and Alan died in a plane crash. And though that that year, 1993, when they both passed, was just such a difficult time. I was still in high school, and I just remember it. I remember the pain as, uh, that NASCAR fans felt at that time. So, um, Davey was my guy. Davey will always be my guy. And I'm so happy that we're going to put him in the, put him in the hall of fame this year. So I used to admittedly make fun of NASCAR. And then I started watching because my buddy works in the business. And I asked him, I go, how do I, how can I pick a driver? And you he, he can do whatever you want. And I go, well, Kevin Harvick drives the Budweiser car. So there's my driver. And he won that year. Well, that, that was 2014. And that was a great – I feel like that's a great reason to
1: root for a driver is he drives a Budweiser car.
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, if 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 cold beer – let cold beer be your guide, Travis. I mean, that's our mantra on the Marty Smith's America podcast. And uh, on that note, y'all are doing awesome with the hashtag what cans y'all got because uh, I have seen more awesome beer cans than I can even fathom. In fact, Travis, you'll be happy to know that a buddy of mine sent me a text – uh, he now works for Terrapin Brewing, the same people that make the CJ 10 Chipper Jones beer. And we might just start, uh, we, we, we might come up with a daggum Marty Smith's America cold beer, a we Marty that, party cold beer. We need that ginger pale ale. Well, I mean, there's, there's, there's definitely nothing more ginger or more pale than me. So there, that, that would be a, a very good one. Um, I appreciate you, man. Uh, Thank you for what you're doing for this podcast, guys. Travis works his tail off. Look, he's on the run, too. It's amazing that we're able to even put this thing together. Travis uh, is the is the producer for the College Game Day radio show. He's off running around down at Bedlam this past weekend, had flight cancellations, finally gets back to Bristol in time for us to put this podcast together with Chase. And y'all know how much I'm all over the place. I had Bama again this weekend. I have an awesome game coming up next weekend. I get to go to Yankee Stadium for the Notre Dame Syracuse tilt, which will be in I've never been to Yankee Stadium. Man, it's gonna be awesome. I can't wait. Thank you so much to Louise for being crazy enough to let us do this. Thank you so much to Chase. Uh I appreciate his time. These guys are professional athletes, man. They don't have a whole lot of time. So it means so much to me that they, they that they're they're willing to give it. They're willing to, to give of themselves and to share their stories with us. And it means so much to me that you guys are enjoying those stories. It means so much to me that you guys take the time to consume the product. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Go to iTunes and download our podcast. Subscribe to our podcast. Rate it and review it. It matters. Um, again, as I say, it seems mighty trivial, but it matters to us. And we appreciate when you guys do it. So thank you for that. A quick shout-out to Smithfield. Uh, my partnership with them – is amazing. Uh, I love my partnership with all of the folks at Smithfield and at Eckrich. Um, they are, they have invested in us, and we're so appreciative of that. Guys, go to the grocery store, buy Smithfield bacon. Inside those specially marked packages, there's a code. Get that code. Go to smithfield.com slash bacon for life. Input that code. You could win bacon for the rest of your time. For the rest of your time here, you can have free bacon. That's awesome. Bacon makes everything better. The smell of bacon makes me happy, and I know it makes you happy. So do it. It'll be good for you. Also, we love to have your calls. Hit us up on the Hillbilly Hotline, 860-516-1315. There you go. Yes, I got it right. That's unbelievable. I almost went 315. That was wrong. Here it is one more time, 860 516 one three one five. Tell us your tailgating stories. Holler at us hammered. Tell us about your favorite beer. Tell us about your favorite college football team and how they're doing. Voice your frustrations if you're pissed and tired of it. Call us and tell us about it. We are a we are Doctor Phil. We are the Redneck Doctor Phil. Hit us up. We'd love to hear it and we might just put it on the Marty Smith America podcast. And I'll just sign off like I do every week thanking our military, but it's extra special this week because it is Veterans Day. It is a very important day. It's very important for us to champion those that preserve our freedom. We don't respect freedom enough. I've been very interested to hear the feedback from the Marty and McGee program uh, last Thursday night when we ran the essay that I wrote on the USS Carl Vinson and my experience there and what a humbling experience it was. And during that, broadcast of the marty mcgee program i just stated we don't respect freedom enough we don't appreciate freedom enough and we don't we just don't it's something that we just have and we need to take a moment to consider that we can go and do and be whatever the hell we want to be in this country and the reason is because we have men and women all over this world making sure that we sustain that freedom so to our military thank you so much for what you do you are appreciated and you will always be appreciated. That's this week's show. Can't believe we're 35 in. Thank you guys for your time. We'll see you next time around. This is the Marty Smith's America podcast.